Hi, everyone. I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frankie Mata. And we'd like to welcome you to this episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So, Frank, it's our first episode of 2024. And if you remember, where we left off in December, you had mentioned you would have your New Year's resolution by this time. Colby, it's February. I think we're kind of past the point about talking about New Year's resolution stuff. Let me quickly change the subject to conference season. Yeah, way to deflect, Frank. There are several conferences kicking off at the end of the month, and traveling face-to-face opportunities aside, I am looking forward to the creativity these events bring and see what's new with live events. See, I like how you shift topics. You know, it, it, it's like you did prepare for the test, and so we're, we're going to move on. That's fine. You know, I, I love that we're talking about this topic because, you know, I think we've both experienced some pretty awesome events and maybe some not-so-awesome events, and that's really you know, on both sides of the equation, attendees and exhibitors. But I think we can both agree that live events play a pivotal role in the association community. I mean, it's where we network, it's where we conduct business, catch up with friends, really get to know the host city. So what keeps us coming back? And where is the industry heading in five or 10 years? That's what we're chatting about today. And our guest has a wealth of experience putting on one of the largest trade shows in the United States. So Frank, who are we talking to today? Cool. We're talking to Chris Brown, Executive Vice President and Managing Director of the National Association of Broadcasters, Global Connections and Events. He has over 35 years of experience in the events and nonprofit sectors, serving various industries by building programs designed to build community and drive business transactions. He is directly responsible for producing the NAB show, the largest event in the world covering the media and entertainment sector, and is annually among the 10 largest shows produced in North America. Way smarter than us on this topic, Frank. I'm, I'm looking oh, forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Colby. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here as well. I think there's a lot we can talk about, some topics we haven't talked about on our podcast yet. So we're really excited that you're here. So let's just jump into it. I think that we can all agree that, that trade shows have evolved over the last decade, especially considering the significant changes we all experienced post-2020. What are some of the key factors driving this transformation that you're seeing? That's a great question, just because I think transformation is really what the trade show business has needed to be focused on for a while, certainly well before COVID. COVID, I think, was a scary wake-up call for everybody and did get people, I think, to retrain themselves, rethink about what trade shows are all about, the kind of value they deliver but I would say just up front, I think we still have a long way to go. I think tour organizers are doing a better job and focusing on some of the things they need to. But trade shows still, by and large, follow a very traditional format. And we lay things out on grids. We sell space, all of those kinds of things. And those are a lot of things that probably need to be revisited. Now, there are people who are innovating, and that's great news. But Anyway, with COVID, I think ultimately what happened is you've got people coming out of COVID with a a very different appreciation for the value of their own time, right? Whereas before with major shows, industry shows, happy that NAB show would be one of those, people just said, oh, it's on the calendar. I know when it is. I guess I'm supposed to go. I'll go. Sometimes people excited about it. Other people, oh, begrudgingly, it's something I'm supposed to do. Now, understanding that people do value their time a bit more and people are thinking about where they travel, how they travel with a bit more scrutiny, 
shows have to step it up. My sense is coming out of COVID that really what our constituents, both on the exhibitor side and the attendee side, are looking for is just different. They're looking for stronger return on their investment. They are looking for more curated experiences, meaning it's not just, hey, let's show up and we'll hope for the best and somebody wanders by, that's great news. I might need a little help with that. And sure, organizers need to be able to step in and make sure that the people who need to connect at the show are able to connect. So we've got to be able to provide the tools, the type of experience that allows that. All of those things need to happen. I'd say the other thing that's interesting is it did force companies to rethink their mix. And by mix, you go to a trade show as an exhibitor, you spend a certain amount of money on your space, you spend a certain amount of money on your your travel, your entertaining, things that are happening outside of the trade show itself. And I think companies are getting a bit more creative with that. And that's a good thing. That might sound blasphemous if you're sitting in my seat, but it, it is not a bad thing if companies are maximizing their time at a show, even if some of what they're doing is actually happening off the trade show floor. We need to be focused on trying to make sure we're delivering value from front end to back end from the minute they get there all the way till the end. And if that means they're doing more sponsorship activations, they're taking and doing some entertaining off the show floor, they're taking customers to suites for certain demonstrations or closing or whatever have you, they're just utilizing the entirety of the opportunity a bit better, which we have to get better as show organizers also approaching them with those types of opportunities. That's a good segue into our, our next question. So exhibitors do play a crucial role in shaping the trade show experience. So you touched on it there, but what are some examples of innovative approaches that exhibitors are using to stand out? You know, you probably, like me, have heard over and over words like activation and experiential and things like that. I'm not sure what any of those things mean, but I know I do know it's it's pushing people to think a bit differently about how they approach everything from what they're doing in their exhibit space to the kinds of things they can do outside of their exhibit space. I just said to engage, you know, their customers. And again, thinking about it from the attendee perspective, where they're now looking for better ROI, better return on their time going to a show. It's not good enough anymore, I don't think, for an exhibitor just to stand back in their booth as somebody's going by, hope they look their way, come into the booth and then go, oh, hey, what can we talk to you about? They need to understand the needs of those customers already. They need to have done the homework. They need to have done the planning ahead of time. And they need to have built their entire display, their experience and their whole interaction with those attendees around the needs of those attendees so that Again, they're helping curate that experience in the same way that we as organizers can help curate by trying to, again, do everything we can to set up situations where the right buyers and the right sellers are getting together to talk together about new opportunity, solving things, that type of thing. So I think it's, it's again, there is a bit more happening outside the trade show floor, whatever you're going to call them, activations, experiences, et cetera. Some of those things go straight to very just fun types of activities, right, that engage people with the brand, but aren't as much about product as much as they are just, hey, this is a cool and different kind of thing that we can do. I'll give you a quick example. At our show, we worked with AWS, Amazon Web Services, to do a, a sort of combination of that. 
obviously AWS has lots and lots of cool tech. So one of the things they wanted to demonstrate at our show was the cool sports tech that they have, which is really about all the metrics and all of the measurement that they can do of things that are happening at sporting events that they can then feed back to the teams, players, et cetera, et cetera. And so we set up a soccer, or if you're a European football fan, a a soccer kick challenge with AWS where people could come and they could actually kick a soccer ball and try to kick it into a goal. They got measured based on the speed, the accuracy, a number of different metrics that got fed back. And again, it was just a fun thing, right? It was out in a lobby, so off the show floor in our case. It brought people out. It had a global sort of tint to it because of football. And so it really engaged the audience in a slightly different way, but also taught them a little bit or got them curious about the tech itself. So I think you're seeing more of that. The only other comment I'll say is another word that gets probably over years. I don't even think it's a word, but we're going to put it in the new dictionary, festivalizations. The idea of, again, make your event an event, an event that's got multiple aspects to it. And again, things that might be happening within your primary facility, but also things that could be happening outside the primary facility. Some of those could be you know, more business-focused. Some of those could be more fun-focused. It's all about helping people walk away with a feeling that I had a really great time, a really interesting time, and I learned a lot in the process. I love the AWS example that you've given because I think no matter how we're trying to change our events or our trade shows, I think it, it still comes down to the folks come to the trade show for fun, to learn, to network, and to do business. And that AWS example takes all four of those components and puts it into one. But if we're all doing that, and we have a, a really stellar event that folks want to come to year after year. So I, I think that's right. great. I love that example. So I think we're all challenged with getting the young and emerging professionals involved in our association. And I think when it comes to getting them to attend our events, the challenge is even more immense. So I want to talk a little bit about that challenge. How can association events and trade shows and meetings, how can they adapt to remain appealing to young professionals? And what strategies can be employed to entice the younger generation to actively participate in these events? You got to provide opportunities that are aimed specifically at them and their interests. That's certainly number one. And I think many events are out there doing that type of thing, whether they are young professional types of programs, mentorship programs, which I think are really important. Uh, it's interesting because in some respects, you do need to understand the demographics of your particular industry and what the range of that is. Again, just an example on our side, if you know anything about social influencers and online video creation and that type of thing, we're now talking about people who are in their teens who are creating video content who are actually relevant to NAB. Now, you might talk to a few exhibitors in our show who would say, wait a minute, I don't want to talk to teenagers. They're not going to buy anything. They don't have any money. Um, one, that's not necessarily true. They do have money. Two, how many of us and how many people across the country have now, because of COVID, built out their own mini studios one way or the other? And how many have pushed that up at the professional scale even a little bit further? People are learning a lot about the equipment, spending money, that type of thing. And these are young people that are doing a lot of this. And guess what? These are the people in the future that are going to move up the scale and that are going to be spending a whole lot of money down the line. From a show perspective and from an exhibitor perspective, we need to be paying attention 
to those kinds of audiences. And we're creating a home specifically for them. We built out a home base called Creator Lab where they can come. We're going to build out specific learning programs in that area. We're going to have some of the key platform players involved as well. And we're going to have a bunch of the influencers that are talking about and the and the big ones, which I'm still learning. Look, this is not my <laughs> this is not my world, but people like Mr. Beast and others who are who are massive content players and have done incredibly well are going to be part of that effort. So again, it's like create things that make them feel at home, that make them feel part of what you're doing, and that are directly relevant to what they're doing. That's incredibly important. The way our demographics are trending, it's not only younger, but it's also more diverse. It's also more female which is a good thing, I think, in general. A lot of male-dominated industries still, particularly on the traditional side, and we've got to move away from being you know, heavily focused on that. It's an interesting balancing act, right? Because we, we're, we're not the boomers and the other folks on the older scale are still important. They're still part of the industry. They've not yet you know, retired out. They may be in the process, but We've got to still serve those needs. At the same time, we've got to be able to serve the needs down to the younger ages. But these groups actually do, and I know there's been good data supporting this, but they do appreciate, do understand the value of attending face-to-face events. They see them as trusted sources. They appreciate the networking value that they represent. But we have to do more to provide opportunities for them to do that networking through things like mentorship programs, roundtable programs that put them in the room with with people who are veterans in the industry, that type of thing. I think they really value that kind of connection. And I think veterans in the industry, likewise, value the opportunity to be able to mentor younger people coming in the industry. So there's a lot you can do. Bottom line is just understand your demographics, make sure you've got programs that are inviting to them and that match up with what they're interested in. I think you bring up a lot of great points there because another challenge that we're not even going to get to today, but you've touched on it. I mean, we're having to serve, what is it now, five generations within our workforce. And those same five generations are the ones that are coming to our trade shows. And we need to make sure that we're catering to both the creator generation that you've described and those veteran professionals who have come to our shows for so many years. Yeah, there's so many challenges being thrown right now at, at anyone that's organizing a trade show or an event right now. And by the way, my 13-year-old son could probably name off every creator you you <laughs> need. So Mr. Beast stop, tops that list. But yeah, and once he's in the workforce, we, we got to cater to him too. So there's a lot to learn there. Somewhat segueing off of what we just talked about, the latest edition of the Freeman Trends Report spotlights this disconnect in the industry that exists between what organizers provide and what attendees and exhibitors value the most. So I have a two-part question for you here. What do you think attendees and exhibitors value the most? And what's the best way for show organizers to really understand what attendees and exhibitors want? I think the quick answer to the last part is... Look, ask questions. Just do the research. There's unbelievable value in just spending time really trying to understand, yeah, what needs, wants, opportunities, challenges are with your audience. And so I would encourage everyone out there to be doing that on a regular basis, at least annually tied to their events, but ideally more frequently than that. And there are obviously more and more ways you can do that. And it's gotten 
at least from a an actual execution perspective, a little easier with things like the online survey apps and that type of thing. Response is not always easy, but you should just be out talking and then having one-on-one conversations, whether it's through your sales teams, your marketing team, your executive team, you should always be out in the field talking to your customers and ask, asking them these questions and making sure you understand what they're interested in. We happily have done that for a long time. We've got you know data that kind of supports the base of your question there and that there's a little bit of a gap. Exhibitors are always looking for new customers. Bring me new, bring me people I don't know, people I don't have relationships with, bring me new segments. And that is, quite frankly, part of the job of shows, show organizers, is to drive new audience to their exhibitor customers. And so there again, you need to be data-driven in how you're doing that, understanding where those opportunities are. And then you got to do the work to go out and build you know, the lists, the outreach, and build programs that will actually attract those new audiences to bring them to the show. And... That's hard. And that's part of why I think there is a gap currently. I think this is one where exhibitors probably look at shows and data is shown. They look at shows and we're not quite measuring up. One, I also think that, look, we probably could over deliver on this and we're still going to get graded down because this is one of those, I can never have enough new customers. No matter how many new customers you give me, I'm still going to tell you I want more. So I do think there's some of that there that exists in that data. But Obviously, we have to be doing a better job. I think most shows do a very good job of building loyal attendee bases, at least shows that have been around for a good number of years. And that's a testament to the value of shows over time. Again, that's your person who's been coming for 10, 15, and God knows we've got people that have been coming for 40 and you know 50 years, which is very cool. They're still very valuable. They're still very important. But your exhibitor is going to look at that and go, I know that person. I've seen that person. You got to give me somebody else and you got to help me grow my business. So that's where the most significant gap I think has been existing. On the attendee side, they want to see new, right? I want to see new product. I want to understand what the new trends are. What's the new tech show like ours? What's the new tech that's driving things? But yeah, it's look, give me new. And you know what? What's interesting coming out of COVID is the way companies have traditionally approached their product introduction cycles has shifted a bit, right? They were able to continue to do that through digital platforms, virtual means, while everybody was stuck at home. And so that took them a little bit out of the normal cycle, including in industries like ours, where they tied them to big shows like NAB show. They're still doing that, but they're probably not doing that at the rate that they used to. And there's two sides to that. There's the Again, the changes that occurred, they realized there were other ways to get that product information out there somewhat effectively. And then on the attendee side, the expectations changed. The attendee sort of said, look, I'm not willing to wait anymore. I'm not going to wait for the next show in 12 months. If something new happens, you better tell me. And I want to be plugged into that news. That's, a, I think, a, a somewhat cautionary tale for shows. We've got to be doing more to make shows, again, the premier platform for the launch of new products, that type of thing. We have to do a better job from both a media perspective and with our exhibitors to really highlight those new products and new product introductions. So I think that's shifting to some extent and it will hopefully start to come back. But I think there's a gap there too, where I think attendees always come to shows, perhaps a little bit of that heightened expectation. I really want to see a lot of new stuff and maybe our exhibitors aren't doing as much as they used to 
and therefore there's a little bit of a gap there in kind of exhibitors aren't meeting the attendee expectation, shows aren't, we need to do a better job there. Chris, with sustainability being a growing global concern, how is the trade show industry addressing environmental considerations and you know, what steps can be taken to make these events more eco-friendly and socially responsible? Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously, we've seen just generally the, an interesting shift in focus and attention around some of these subjects. I don't think they're going away. Obviously, there was a, a kind of spike in interest that may be fading a bit, but I do think you know shows can play a part here. I will say up front, my view, I don't have all the data to support this, but my view is there is a perspective that shows are terrible on the sustainability front just because of all the travel they they require, all of those kinds of things, carbon footprint. But that only is valid if you believe that shows are not efficient, right? But I believe shows are incredibly efficient. So for every trip one person is taking to a trade show where they're seeing 40, 50, 100 vendors that they wouldn't see otherwise, they're saving trips, Salespeople who are going to the trade show on behalf of the exhibitor are saving trips. From my standpoint, actually, we are relatively efficient and actually perhaps net out in a pretty good place there. Like I said, I don't have data. I don't know if there's data to support that, but that in theory, again, trade that's what trade shows do. Really big horizontal trade shows in particular, they're very efficient mediums. They make everybody's life easier and they reduce the requirement for people to be out and making 15 other trips and otherwise throughout the year. So I think there's opportunity there. Uh, I think the industry as a whole is trying to rally around sustainability. There are initiatives, I think, tied to just about every major industry organization out there. I know my primary organization, IAWE, has a, a couple of initiatives, committees working on this, developing new ideas and new approaches to it. I am seeing more and more shows taking some fairly interesting new approaches to this, not just on recycling. I think the industry's been doing or trying to do and add recycling pieces for a long time. But things like, hey, maybe we take carpet out of the equation, which is an interesting subject and, and a really interesting debate because it does actually have a physical effect. People's feet begin to hurt and, and get, get a little sore when you're walking on concrete for a couple of days. But it, yeah, there's an argument to be made that it is a more sustainable approach. And a lot of that carpet was either reused a couple of times and then becomes waste or it's all also oil-based. So there are a lot of those kinds of things that I think organizers are trying to get more creative with and do so that we are actually contributing in a positive way. And I think more and more industries through shows are highlighting sustainability. That's something we're doing. We introduced some new sustainability awards for our industry. So they're both industry efforts that shows can support in sustainability, and then the shows themselves obviously can become more sustainable. Sustainability aside, are there any emerging technologies or strategies you feel will play a pivotal role in the evolution of the trade show landscape? AI. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no, who knows? I do think AI is interesting because it's, in theory, supports curation, right? And and that's another perhaps overused term, but I do think it gets to a theme we've been talking about, which is shows have got to do and should do, you know, a much better job of actually making sure that the right connections are being made at, at events. And and so that's got to be something that's uh, data-driven 
and with the right data and then the right AI tools, obviously there should be a lot of really, really strong calibrating we can do, making sure that we're attracting the right people, putting them with the right sellers, making sure that those connections are being made or at least making them available to people. Obviously, you've got to be aware of the other side of this. You know, you can't become too big brother-ish in the process. And that has always been the trick. We can make these things available, but we have to be careful not to be dictating to people how they go about connecting at our shows and who they connect with and all of those kinds of things. That's counter to the whole culture of the way shows work, I think. And actually, believe it or not, that's another story, but somewhat ties to the reason that straight up virtual events, I think, have had a challenge in actually ultimately working because you, you take the faces out and it becomes a little bit tougher. But anyway, so I think AI certainly, you know, will have an impact. I think that gets to just personalization in general. So I think you're going to see, you know, more technologies that are driving personalized experience for people at shows. Look, I think that my view of AR and VR and things like that is that they're not necessarily going to replace shows. They'll be a compliment. They should be a compliment, right? AR, if it's done the right way, and it still needs to evolve. But hey, if they get the glasses technology worked out and it's got the right AR technology, think about what that could be as a tool for a trade show in terms of looking at an environment and being able to actually see data on everything that you're looking at. Imagine walking down a show floor and being able to just really know everything about everything that's going on around you, including the exhibitors and specific products and all the data that could be available to you with that. It could be a little scary and overwhelming, but just the ability to be able to access that. Because I think our challenge is always, again, in the build it and they will come good old days, you just open the doors, people came in, exhibitors did their thing. And it was all about serendipity that somebody would run into the right person, find the right exhibitor. And then we added, you know, listings and we added directories and we started to provide some more information and that type of thing. But again, it's still, you're leaving a lot of the burden on the attendee to see, work through that and figure out who they actually need to be. And we're on the exhibitor side, understanding who's coming and how they're going to get to them. We've got to be able to be in the middle of that, making sure all that's happening. And again, I think AR and VR type technologies just open up cool new ways that you can deliver that kind of data. Chris, you alluded to this in our pre-show. I think that this topic we could talk about for hours and hours. We're going to go ahead and stop it here and maybe look for an opportunity to do a part two as this year goes by. So we want to thank you again for being a part of today's discussion. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Enjoy talking. Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to let you go yet because we're going we're gonna to put you on the hot seat one last time for the final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. So we're going <laughs> to fire off a, a series of questions for you just to learn a little bit more about you. Give us the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? I'm going to try. All right, here we go. If there was a transfer portal from the pros to the University of Virginia, which pro athlete would you want on your football or basketball team? <laughs> well, hard not to pick, pick somebody like LeBron getting up there in years, but just supernatural athlete. So I'll take LeBron first answer. Heck, if we're building a transfer portal, it doesn't matter how old he is now. We'll just transfer young LeBron. To yeah, yeah. <laughs> young LeBron will go a long way. I'll take that. There you go. What's an interesting tidbit about supermarkets that you learned from working at the Food Marketing Institute? 
Fascinating business, community-based business, obviously, uh, low margin. And that, that I think for me, that was one of the interesting things is being then in the trade show business, which does pretty well on the margin side. And I appreciate that. Having to put on a mindset every day where you're working in a supermarket and your margins are more like one to two percent is it's somewhat hard to wrap your head around this. <laughs> That's you want to think about the volume that you've got to be able to deliver. My other one would be Danny Wegman way back when was a fledgling little supermarket chain coming out of the Northeast. Now Wegmans is at least here. It's a giant phenomena and our favorite go-to spot. Now, which destination would be your top travel bucket list spot? Oh, for me, we've had a couple of really cool trips to some great places. Places I really would go and maybe not come back from would be uh, one top of the list for me would be Hawaii. Still exploring the islands, but it'd be Maui, Kauai, I think probably in that order. But yeah, I'm a water guy, a beach guy in general, and you just can't get a more beautiful combination. It's expensive, and I understand all the other stuff, but it's a pretty cool place. That doesn't feel like you're on this continent for sure and doesn't feel like you're on the planet even to some degree yeah so you, you like beaches you like water we also know that you like history so being a history buff and nab's office being located in navy yard which historical figure would you like to grab lunch with and where would you take them in navy yard oh wow so for dc yeah a lot of the books and other things that i've spent time with are, are civil war era and we're not too far down the road from Ford's Theater. And it's probably a trite answer, but Abraham Lincoln, just a fascinating person, time, everything. That would be pretty cool, either down in our neighborhood or over at the Hay Adams or somewhere up closer to the White House. That'd be a pretty cool experience. Awesome. Chris, that's the buzzer today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me both. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. We'll see you next time.